0: Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm. Live we'll link at the trumpet.com as well. We're coming up on this Monday edition, a look at some headlines out there, including the uh, march against uh, school violence and gun violence, I guess it was, over the weekend. Pretty interesting uh, feature story also in uh, Time Magazine about that. So we'll take a look at that and plenty more coming up on this uh, Monday edition of Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. This is Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com, too. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And any emails that you'd like to send along, send those to comments at kpcg.fm. Happy to take a look at those uh, for you. I always appreciate getting those in. I'm Dwight Falk with you here today. Grant Turgeon uh, has uh, a couple of weeks off doing some traveling, so he'll be back with us, but uh, I'll be manning it today. Uh, I got a... Uh Recent uh, Time Magazine—it's uh, my last one apparently. They gave, they have the cover on it, you know, where it says this could be your last one, and I thought finally—not <laughs> to knock Time Magazine—but uh, some of the stories are uh, a little bit uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, but there is an interesting one this this uh, week, and it's on the gun uh, violence and the protests against that. And the cover has these teenagers from the, that uh, Parkland school and it says enough on the front, and there's uh, five kids there looking pretty angry and upset teenagers. So kind of an interesting write-up about some of what's going on there and what they're trying to do, apparently, and it's talked about on the Trumpet Daily Radio show today as well a, a bit. So we're going to take a look at some of what uh, is written up in that magazine. Just kind of interesting to see how they, uh, some of the comments that they make about it. So we'll take a look at that later in the program. Uh, starting today, we'll look at uh, some headlines. There's quite a bit that is uh, going on. And uh, this top story is pretty interesting. It's from the Washington Examiner. And the headline is this, Obama envisions creating a million young Barack Obamas during a speech in Japan. So it's kind of interesting. I don't, i was trying to think if I could remember a politician or anybody saying they wanted to make a million of themselves. That's sort of an interesting <laughs> comment to make. Uh, certainly people look to influence. But apparently, he wants to duplicate himself. And I don't think he's talking about cloning. He is talking about uh, getting people to think like he does. It says Former President Barack Obama talked about his future plans for his post presidency life at a conference Sunday in Japan, addressing how he might shape a million new young leaders in his mold. He said, If I could do that effectively, then, you know, I would create a hundred or a thousand or a million young Barack Obama's or Michelle Obama's, Obama said, or the next group of people who could take the baton in that relay relay race that is human progress, which is interesting. Of course, he considers his agenda and what he's done to be progress. Um, There are people that feel differently about that, but he thinks that uh, he is progressing the human race forward. I think his wife made a similar comment about she wanted to recreate herself a bunch of times too. Uh, A few weeks back, I seem to remember that. So uh, you get a very clear sense of what they're trying to do, as he said, in his post-presidency years. During the discussion, uh, Obama acknowledged the great potential that young people have in making a difference. Of course, he talked about this a lot uh, in relation to these uh, young uh, teenagers from Parkland school, and uh, he's pushing their, their agenda as well which really is his agenda, but he said uh, uh, he pointed specifically to the March for Our Lives anti-gun violence demonstrations led by high schoolers, supposedly, in Washington, D.C. and around the globe. But but he said this also. He knocked, uh, quote, old men in power. He said a lot of our problems are caused by old men. No offense, men who are old, he quipped. So he said that when he was over there giving a speech in Japan. If you're wondering, he himself is 56 years old, so uh, that's not young. (laughs) He's not exactly a young person. I guess it depends on how old you are personally, how you feel about 56 years, Uh, but uh, that's not exactly young either. And uh, it was so really interesting comments there. He's letting you know what his agenda is, very specifically to recreate at least a million people in his mold, young people, and get rid of the old people, which is the problem. So that could be pretty offensive to a lot of the population, I would think. And, of course, I think, uh, obviously, there's a real shot being taken at people that are in charge now, uh, some politicians. And also, uh, there's quite an anti-Constitution bias that's been on display for quite a while, and uh, really the founding fathers of the United States. And uh, here's something to consider when you you hear comments like this. Uh, Is it easier to manipulate old people or young people? It's easier to manipulate young people, isn't it? They, they more often go with whatever the popular trend is. The older people get, they usually dig their heels in a little bit and aren't quite as easily moved about by whatever the new trend is or the, the current uh, popular idea is. But in this case, uh, President o, former President Obama is saying, I, you know, get rid of the old people. <laughs> so oh, a lot of our problems are caused by old men, he said. Well, that's what he thinks about it anyway. So pretty interesting, um, a great book to read to really get a, insight into what's going on there and what you can expect to see is america under attack that was mentioned in the trumpet daily radio show also uh great again that's another book that was mentioned both of those really they go hand in hand and so if you get those two they're free at the trumpet.com america under attack and then uh great again it gives you an idea of where we are in society and where uh, we are politically in this country and um, president obama has been uh Former President Obama has been pretty quiet, I guess, since he got out of office. To some extent, he's had a few a few things he said here and there. But now he's coming out a little more personally. And, of course, uh, obviously he's left. If you've read, read some of the news stories, he's left quite a little organization behind, even after he left Washington. So there's quite a few uh, people still heavily influenced by him and his thinking. And he wants more, a million more, at least, young people in his own image, which is... Uh, Interesting, to say the least. Uh, it, it, here's another uh, re- kind of a related story to that. He mentioned the uh, that March, um, what was it called again, the March for Our Lives anti-gun violence demonstrations. That happened over the weekend, and we'll talk about that more coming up later in the program. But there is. it's funny when somebody that is would be considered, I guess, fairly liberal, actually has a different opinion than what a lot of the, the radical left does. Here's a write-up from Breitbart. Here's a a rapper, (laughs) okay, Uh, by the name of uh, Killer Mike. Don't know anything about him or who he is, but uh, probably not the best music. But he actually had a different take. Uh, He said uh, this. Uh, Well, this is the write-up. It says, in the lead-up to the March 14th school walkout for gun control, this uh, rapper said he told his own kids, quote, I love you, but if you walk out of that school, you walk out of my house. So in other words, if you get take part in this walkout, don't bother coming home because you don't have a place here anymore. He says, you can't continue to be the lackey. <clears throat> this guy's from Atlanta. And he said, you're a lackey of the progressive movement because you have never disagreed with the people who tell you what to do. Uh, he pointed out how celebrities, and then he named a few, uh, pledged $500,000 to Saturday's gun control march. And he said, celebrities often don't know what to do, they're told what to do. So pr- pretty interesting comments. Obviously took a lot of flack for saying that and then uh, apologized today. <laughs> and not, not 100% backtracking on what he said, but he apologized if he had uh, you know, caused uh, any sort of problem for these kids at their march. But uh, he obviously is into some things that are, that are uh, uh, not the best probably in terms of some of his music, but at the same time, Pretty common sense uh, remarks there. And I think he is at least smart enough to realize that uh, a lot of them are being used as lackeys because they're just going along with whatever the popular trend is. Highlights exactly what uh, former President Obama said where he, old men are the problem. We need young kids. Well, of course you do because they're easier to manipulate. And so uh, I thought pretty interesting and, and insightful comments there from somebody that you wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect it to be a, a, a coming from a, a rapper. So <laughs> probably the only time that, that individual will get mentioned on uh, this program. But nevertheless, thought he had some, uh, some good comments there. Here's a couple of other headlines today that are interesting. A, a health note, American adults, would you believe, they just keep uh, getting larger, unfortunately. This is from the Miami Herald, and they've been doing some studies. And, and even though there's more information out there about health, and more information out there about the dangers of, say, being overweight or unhealthy lifestyles, I don't think that's a secret, uh, the results still continue to be a trend of people being, becoming more unhealthy. U.S. adults continue to put on the pounds, it says. New data show that nearly 40% of them were obese in 2015 and 2016. A sharp increase from a decade earlier, federal health officials reported on Friday. So the numbers keep going up as far as people being obese. The prevalence of severe obesity in the U.S. It's interesting now because they have to break it down even further. Obese, severely obese, you know, it keeps keeps being different varieties of being obese, I guess. But uh, the prevalence of severe obesity in U.S. adults is also rising, they say, heightening their risks for developing a whole host of bad things, including heart disease, diabetes, and various cancers. And if you think about major health issues that we have in this country right now, that's it, isn't it? I mean, those are like the big ones. Heart disease, diabetes, and cancers. And a lot of it gets back to the obesity. And of course, then you have to trace that back to well, why would people be obese? And it's diet primarily. And obviously, a lack of exercise plays in there too. You need that. But the diet, the diet is the issue. And they do talk about... You know, overeating, which of course is a problem. But but even if somebody, let's say, overate uh, proper food, it still would be a problem. But it wouldn't be a problem like to the extent we see now. I always kind of uh, kind of laugh about that. I guess you know you'll see maybe a commercial where they're talking about uh, not eating too much of one thing or the other, and, and they might actually be talking about sort of a healthy food. And as I was chuckle, I I think nobody ever got obese on eggs, did they? (laughs) I mean, is there is there a problem with people eating too many eggs? And it's just this crisis in this country. You could do it, of course. You could overdo anything, but it's not it's not somebody eating an egg that's causing the problems. It's very very corrupt diet, Uh, and so of course the corrupt diet, the obesity it leads to heart disease, diabetes, and a variety of cancers. According to the latest data, this write-up says, and it was published Friday, by the way, in uh, the Journal of American uh, Medical Association, I believe is uh, what that stands for, JAMA. Seven point seven percent of U.S. adults were severely obese in the same period. So that's obviously the extreme, extreme, and that's seven percent of the population. You know, so if we're looking at a three hundred plus million population, uh, you know, those those numbers are quite high, even at seven point seven percent. Public health experts, they say, said that they were alarmed by the continuing rise in obesity among adults and by the fact that efforts to educate people about the health risks of a poor diet do not seem to be working. So, I mean, it's not a mystery, at least in terms of (laughs) the realization that people shouldn't be overweight, the basic understanding that, say, junk food's not good, even though, Sometimes there's food out there that doesn't seem like it would be as bad, but but it is. But certainly there's plenty of stuff that's clearly not good. So even though they're warning people, that that's not working. um, They say most people know that being overweight or obese is unhealthy. And if you eat too much, that contributes to being overweight, said Dr. James Krieger, clinical professor of medicine at the University of Washington and executive director of Healthy Food America, an advocacy group. He said, but just telling people there's a problem doesn't solve it. So that's true of a lot of things. We we know there are problems. It could be any type of problem. But just realizing there's a problem doesn't solve it. The latest data, they say, from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, come at a time when the food industry is pushing back against stronger public health measures aimed at combating obesity. This happened even recently. I... Uh, I think listeners are familiar with Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. He's he's done a uh, <clears throat> a pretty good job, at least in terms of still being able to play a very physically demanding sport at the age of, I think he's 40 or he's close to 40. And he's still able to play at a fairly high level and and uh, avoided, I think, major injury at least, except for maybe one knee injury. <clears throat> and there's some question about some concussions, but, but he's still playing. And at that age, I mean, it's hard to be a professional athlete at the age of 40, in particular, in uh, professional football. So people have looked at him and said, well, what's he doing? And he, he has some books about his diet, and he has some books about his overall health uh, regimen. And he made a comment, I think it was before the Super Bowl, it was against Coke, the soft drink. You know, it could be any soft drink. I think he happened to mention Coke or Pepsi. I can't remember which one it was. And, uh, you know, said, look, that stuff's uh, poison, and uh, that company actually hit back against them because they want to keep selling their product. And, uh, they, you know, they were saying it wasn't that bad or, you know, it's, it's okay as long as it's part of a healthy diet or something like that. Uh, and I think he, might, he may have even said something about breakfast cereals, certain types of breakfast cereals, and I think they hit back as well. And you've all seen the commercials, of course, of, a, a, you know, a breakfast cereal, particularly aimed at a kid. Or children, and you know it's, there's nothing good in there. And they'll say it's part of this healthy diet, and they show the bowl of cereal with, like, a plate of eggs, I guess, and toast and something else. And, and nobody's eating—who eats breakfast cereal that way? And even if you did, I mean, if you actually look at what they have on the table there, they have orange juice usually, which is probably processed, and then the toast is probably white bread. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, there's issues that <laughs> if that was your breakfast every day, there'd be issues there. And then on top of that, you're going to have this bowl of, you know, sugar cereals. So, uh, anyway, a lot of interesting thoughts out there. Food companies are hitting back because uh, obviously they don't want to lose their profits. And people say this stuff is really bad, it's causing health problems. They're, they're trying to push back against that. And I have noticed something interesting, too. You've probably seen this also. There are commercials out there for uh, Diet Coke, it is actually. And they, I think they've completely gotten away from trying to in any way say that there's any value to this beverage because there's not, other than people like it. And so what, what's the tagline or what's the commercial? It's, uh, well, I, I'm going to do it because I can. You know, I do it. I like it. It's my thing. You know, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. I like drinking it because I like it, which, fair enough, you know, people can do that. There's freedom to do that. But the reality is then this study, which is obesity, Not to blame just one, say, beverage or something, but it's part of the cycle. And so these food companies are hitting back and saying, in some cases, they're trying to say, hey, it's not that bad. In other cases, they're just saying, well, so what? You know, you can do whatever you want. It's bad, but, or they won't say it's bad, but they'll say, well, it's what I like to do. It's my choice. So you do you, I'll do me, and it's all fine. Well, this is what happens. 40% uh, of Americans uh, obese, and the numbers are growing. They say the latest data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey come at a time when the food industry is pushing back, as mentioned, and they're trying to, you know, again, keep their products going. They say while the latest survey data do not explain why Americans continue to get heavier, nutritionists and other experts cite lifestyle, genetics, which I I don't know about that one so much. And most importantly, a poor diet as factors. Most importantly, <laughs> and they even know that, it's a poor diet as factors. Because even if somebody has a very good exercise routine, that's definitely a benefit. But it's what, what type of fuel is being put in the body. You know, you, if, if you look at people that are actually very good athletes, <clears throat> if they hope to stay in their sport very long and be effective at it, one of the main things they have to do is eat right. And so as, uh, I, you know, I follow the NBA a bit. I like to watch some basketball. A lot of those guys, when they come into the professional league, one of the first things they do is they get a, a chef and they've got the money to do it. So they hire a chef to prepare, prepare meals for them because they know they have to have proper nutrition. You know, how far can you run on a candy bar and a Coke, right? <laughs> you get an energy boost for sure. But over time, there's no nutrients in that or very few. And so it it's going to harm the body, so even even the professional athletes, they know that they're making their money off of their body and its ability to perform, which we all do, even if it's not a sport. I mean we've got to get up in the day and get going someplace usually. Um, and they know health is so much so so important there. and so even these even the um, uh, nutritionists and other experts, they're saying, look, it is most importantly a poor diet. that's the factor for the obesity in the us. Until that changes, nothing's going to change, nothing substantial uh, other than getting worse. Uh, U.S. fast food sales, they say, rose 22.7% from 2012 to 2017, according to Euromonitor, while packaged food sales rose 8.8%. So you can look at the rise in the fast food sales, the rise in the processed food sales, packaged food sales, and then you see the rise in obesity over the same period of time. I don't think that's a mystery, is it? Uh, but again, it's not really a mystery to anybody, but yet, um, are people going to make some sort of a change there? That's, that's the question. And it's not easy to do always, but until the diet changes, there's not going to be any substantial change there as far as health is concerned. And that's also, I know I took a nutrition class in in college and actually wasn't too long ago. Um, and, uh, one of the things they do, they do, they do teach nutrition to, to a certain extent, and I think some of the information is pretty good. But one of the things they try to get you to do, and it's not a bad idea, but they want to get you on a, a calorie counter to where, say, you get an app on your phone. Even to the point where you can scan barcodes, and it'll give you the nutritional information of what you're eating if it was a, a, a purchased product with a barcode on it. Which is probably a number one indication you shouldn't be eating it, but uh I guess I guess they put barcodes on a lot of things uh but so what they want you to do is they want you to count your calories and then look at like the different groups, like how much fat, sugar, et cetera, et cetera, you're having and uh so there's some benefit to that, I think, and if people limit their calorie count, then they do begin to lose weight. but of course, a lot of the question there is what what is the, what are the calories made of? I mean, you can eat not a lot but have it all be bad. So you might lose weight, but it's not going to be healthy. You know, people that go through actual famines lose weight, don't they? You know, they, they still lose weight, obviously, because they just don't have any input into their body. Uh, but uh, they're unhealthy, of course, because we need the good nutrients. So really, uh, it really is a crisis in, in the West and in the United States in particular. And it can feel pretty hopeless being stuck in a you know situation, being overweight, poor diet and so forth, but people can make changes. Uh, there's a write-up from the trumpet. This is from, uh, 2005. So this is a while ago. And I, I don't know if they've updated information on this since, but around 2005, they came out with a new food pyramid. They were trying, the last one had been updated in 1992. So I don't know if they've done one since, but they've, they've kind of tweaked the food pyramid. You probably remember that from school, uh, them talking about the food pyramid and seeing the graphic and everything. But, um, So anyway, they they came out with this new uh, food pyramid. But the point that the trumpet brings out at the end of this write-up, and it is the ultimate point in all this talk about diet, talk about uh, exercise programs, people trying to figure out what to do, it just says this, the solution to obesity. uh, And one that trumpet readers are well familiar with, eat a balanced diet, get plenty of exercise. That's what it comes down to. And, of course, a balanced diet doesn't mean a little bit of good and then a little bit of bad, too. <laughs> I mean, it means, it means eating well, balanced in the sense of real food. And that's, that can take real effort to try to get um, that because the stores, you know, they, they sell you a lot of things, but it's not very good usually. And then, of course, uh, fast food restaurants are uh, everywhere. You can barely, you can barely uh, turn the corner in a city without running into another fast food establishment of some kind and we talked a while ago about just the the increase in the amount of sugar in in uh, it was hamburgers at McDonald's it was astounding a big mac i think they had over 200% more sugar in the big mac than they did uh back in like the mid 80s so it's the same basic food item but what's in it has changed dramatically and not that it was good in the mid 80s but it's it's certainly gotten worse today and so it's really interesting because there's there's sugar in a lot of things that you may not think have sugar in them. You know, you think, okay, maybe I'll skip the soft drinks. I know there's sugar in there, but the burger has sugar in it. I don't know if it's all, <laughs> where it's all made up in there. Obviously, you've got the bun, you've got all the sauces, the meat itself, how they process it. So lots of places where sugar can sneak in on you and cause some problems. The, uh, you might be wondering, what, well, what's the healthiest community in uh, America since uh, there's so much uh, poor health? They did a write-up on that. It's uh, Falls Church, Virginia, apparently. The healthiest community in America. And uh, they have the benefit of being a fairly affluent uh, community. And that does help out a bit. But they do, they're do they doing a couple of things that I think are just great. And uh, I'd love to see more of this. Uh, and this is more on the exercise side of life. They do talk about the fact that they do have a lot of farmers markets and, and things like that where they're trying to eat more healthy, which is very important. But... Um, Here's another thing they're doing. This, I believe, is the mayor said, uh, we're trying to create a more walkable, bikeable, vibrant downtown so that people don't have to leave our community to get services and goods and entertainment. And so they can do it all within the boundary of our city. And they're trying to make it so where it's walkable and bikeable. And I I love that idea. I think that would be so good (laughs) if you could, you know, who, who wouldn't love to be able to, say, bike to work safely? Uh, assuming it's not raining or a hundred degrees or something like that, but I mean, you know, it, it, getting out and getting exercise uh, within the course of your day to get from one place to another would be great. It's just as hard to do in a lot of places. Some people have very long commutes, uh, or there may not. It just may not be the safest. Um, I'm not that far from where I work, but and I and I have bikes, and I can occasionally. But there's not really a biking trail. So you always watch for, you got to share the road with everybody, <laughs> trucks, cars, you name it. And sometimes that can be a little bit hairy and dangerous. And so, uh, but you know, if you see an area where they've got really well designed biking trails and walking trails, that's great. It really changes people's lifestyles. So I hope they can do more of that in different places. Uh, one other uh, person there in the town, a city planner, I believe, said uh, for many years, the school system was the primary draw uh, to their community. But as the city has become more walkable, more friendly, a better place to live, there's other draws, too, now. And this, again, is in Falls Church, Virginia. So as people come here who don't have kids, who just want to live in a community where they can walk and go out to dinner, uh, we really are actively trying to get people like that to come here. So, I mean, what a, what a great day. Uh, some people really like driving, which is fine. But, boy, if you can walk everywhere or, or bike everywhere, that to me, that's a great day. So this this is something they're doing in Falls Church, Virginia. There are some communities like that, even here locally in Edmond. There are places like that, but there are a lot of places that you need a car to get to, if you're going to get there comfortably. So, but it would be I think it would really help just um, health in general. So it is good to see some communities trying some things like that, uh, more biking, walking, hiking trails, that type of thing. Not just at parks, but I mean just to get from point A to point B. It would be nice to. Uh, be able to do something like that. So that's a, that's a good a good health note. Here's a, a one that's a little more on the negative side as far as health goes, but it, it is something we're dealing with in this country right now. Uh, marijuana is something that we've talked about on this show before, and there's write-ups in the trumpet about it. Uh, and some people try to pass it off like it's not a problem. Uh, obviously, it is a problem, uh, particularly as you look into it a little more. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote about that for years. And uh, it has a lot of problems with it. But here's a problem that maybe you haven't considered. And uh, this write-up says, uh, are there risks from secondhand marijuana smoke? Early science says yes. A lot of people, when they're indulging in this drug, smoke it. And it's becoming legal in some states to do so. Uh, So not only do you have the issue of the drug itself, but the smoking side of it. Now, conversely... There's a, a whole movement against uh, cigarette smoking. Uh, you see commercials all the time, you know, don't smoke, and, and that's good. People should not do it because it does kill people. And uh, But what about uh, smoke from uh, smoking marijuana? How about that and secondhand smoke? Uh, this write-up says, the inspiration arrived uh, for this uh, researcher, uh, at a Paul McCartney concert a few years ago in San Francisco. <laughs> it says, uh, and his name's Matthew Springer. He's a biologist and professor in the Division of Cardiology at the University of California, San Francisco. He said, people in front of me started lighting up, and then other people started uh, lighting up. And for a few uh, naive split seconds, I was thinking to myself, hey, they can't smoke in AT&T Park. I'm sure that's not allowed. So, of course, he's outraged because we don't see smoking a lot anymore, do we? I mean, occasionally you'll see somebody doing it, but it's it's a little more rare. It's banned in many restaurants or areas like that. So when you see somebody smoking, it it, it does kind of strike you as odd. So he, he saw people smoking. He thought, you can't do that in a concert. And then he said, I was, think, I was thinking to myself, you know, they can't do this. And then I realized that it was all marijuana. So they're smoking, but they're smoking marijuana. Uh, The write-up says recreational pot was not legal yet in the state, (laughs) but that didn't stop anybody from doing it. It, Nobody stopped when it was illegal. They're certainly not going to stop when it's legal. He said Paul McCartney actually stopped between numbers and sniffed the air and said, there's something in the air, must be San Francisco. I'm assuming the crowd erupted in applause, though that was not included in the write-up. As the visible cloud of pot smoke took shape, so did Springer's idea to study the effects of secondhand marijuana smoke. You know, you may not smoke it, but what if the person next to you is? Uh, you know, and it's interesting, too, uh, you've, if you have kids, you've probably had this experience where you're walking into an establishment of some kind, a grocery store or anything, and you got somebody outside smoking. And you have to walk through them, or walk past them, and you walk through their cloud of smoke. And, uh, you know, you get, you get a little bit indignant uh, because, you know, nobody wants to breathe in that stuff. We know what it does, and and then your kids are breathing it in you think come on you know uh don't make your addiction my problem well the same thing is happening with marijuana smoke so how do they test this well in the lab uh springer put uh, he puts cigarettes or uh a uh, joint as i call it in a plexiglass box he lights it and lets the chamber fill with smoke then he vents out most of the smoke to the point that it's hardly visible to simulate being around a smoker. So he's trying to simulate, like, what would happen and and, and recreate the environment. Then an, uh, a rat is exposed to the smoke for one minute. Poor rats. They're always having to take the brunt of uh, the smoking and the other problems. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not, like, a Save the Rat campaign. Seems like people are always... Uh, trying to, to get into something, but they keep using the rats, I guess. Anyhow, back to the uh, main story here. It says, so far, Springer and his colleagues have published research demonstrating that just this one minute of exposure to secondhand smoke makes it harder for the rat's arteries to expand and allow a healthy flow of blood. So that's what happens if you're inhaling marijuana smoke. Same thing would be true with a with a cigarette. But but notice this now. Um with tobacco products, this effect lasts about thirty minutes. So if you have if you have the secondhand smoke from tobacco, your uh your arteries are going to have a harder time expanding, and the blood flow is going to be constricted. And that lasts for about thirty minutes. Now I don't know how like how much you'd have to be exposed, but I don't think it would be one quick smell necessarily. But uh, anyway, you you get the point. If you're exposed to it, they say. But if it happens over and over again, see if you're constantly in this environment the arterial walls can become permanently damaged, and that damage can cause blood clots, heart attack, or stroke. And I think we all are very aware of that in relation to cigarettes. There's plenty of uh, data on that. But uh, Springer demonstrated that, at least in rats, the same physiological effect occurs after inhaling secondhand smoke from marijuana, but the arteries take 90 minutes to recover compared with 30 minutes with cigarette smoke. If you don't like secondhand cigarette smoke, you should be doubly, triply, I guess, according to the numbers, uh, concerned about secondhand marijuana smoke. Not to mention, I don't even know what it does to the mind, but, but just even inhaling it and uh, having that affect your, your uh, systems, uh, your arteries are going to have a hard time. They're not going to be able to expand correctly um, or, or they're going to expand too much and they're not going to allow a healthy flow of blood. Or or constrict, I guess they go. Uh, so in any event, if you have secondhand cigarette smoke, you have about 30 minutes of that that you're dealing with. Secondhand marijuana smoke, it's 90 minutes to recover. And eventually, of course, people don't recover. So it's it's three times as bad. Springer's discovery about the effect on blood vessels describes just one harmful impact. That's just one. I mean, they're just looking at how, how well is your blood flow, how do your arteries do. So they're not looking at everything. They're just looking at that. For non-smokers who are exposed to marijuana, there are other problems, too. Statewide sampling surveys of cannabis products sold in marijuana dispensaries have shown that the items may contain dangerous bacteria or mold or residue from pesticides and solvents. So, you you know, if you have uh, mold in your house, it's a major, major issue. Right, you got to get it out, and sometimes you have to pay a fair bit to do it because of how dangerous it is. Well, in this case, this is in the marijuana. So, some people are saying, well, maybe we just need to take it a different way. You know, we need to eat it or something like that as opposed to smoking it. Or, uh, I guess they're trying to put some laws in to make it, um, oh, they would test it more or whatever so it doesn't have mold in it, they hope. But there are just more and more uh, problems with this. So, anyway, a lot to consider there. and there's some really good write-ups at the trumpet about that. Not, not to mention, boys, well, just all the there's so many problems with this uh, legalization of marijuana. But uh, this is just another one, <clears throat> secondhand uh, marijuana smoke. So I don't know. I hope we don't get into a situation where we go to a, you know a normal establishment and we have to deal with that. But uh, if it's legal, maybe we will. Maybe we'll have to deal with that more. I don't know. So you have to take a mask, I guess. One of those those. Uh, Oh, what do you what do you call them? Those masks that people wear to try to block out the the stuff coming into their lungs, but pretty bad deal there for people. So, uh, and and one one really good point too that the article also made was that people that are on the other side of this argument that say, "Oh, we don't think it's marijuana smoke is that bad." They'll say, "There's not enough science yet. There's not enough data to really let us know what's happening. So we'll just wait till we have more information." And the author brought up the point that that's what tobacco company said for years. That's what the tobacco company said. Well, we don't have enough information on this, so we're not sure if it's killing people or not. And, of course, it was. And how many people have died or known someone that has <clears throat> or had permanent problems because of tobacco smoke? Well, you know, early reports are marijuana smoke is going to be just as bad or worse. So uh, it's, that's just uh, the way it goes. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that, come towards the end of their life and had to deal with the repercussions of smoking and thought, boy, I wish I had known a little more early on, right? Well, now is a little bit earlier on when it comes to marijuana smoke, so something to uh, definitely consider there. Uh, here's a story that uh, came out today. This is just in relation to uh, Russia, and, uh, you know, Russia is behind, it appears, a poisoning of ex uh, um uh, uh, Russian spy, I guess, or a spy over there in the U.K. And uh, so the different countries are trying to figure out what to do about it. Uh, Fox News has this. Trump orders expulsion of dozens of Russian diplomats, closure of consulate in Seattle. So that's what the U.S. is doing, at least um, on this level. President Trump on Monday ordered the expulsion of 60 Russian intelligence officers in the United States and the closure of the Russian consulate in Seattle. In response to the nerve agent attack on an ex-Russian spy in the U.K. earlier this month, senior administration officials said, The steps following Britain's expulsion of Russian diplomats are meant to send a message to Moscow that actions have consequences, the officials said. The Seattle consulate is being closed because of its proximity to uh, submarine bases as well as Boeing. <laughs> yeah, who thought it was a good idea to put that right there? It's not That's not a good idea at all. Uh, they say Russia has fiercely denied any involvement in the poisoning. Of course they have. Saying that it had destroyed its chemical weapons and had no motive to skill, uh, to kill uh, Scripple, uh, who was convicted of spying for Britain but released in a 20, 2010 spy swap. Uh, getting into being a spy is dangerous business. I don't know why people get into that. Because even if you sort of get out of it, you never get out of it and then obviously people get targeted. Still, Moscow has in turn ordered 23 British diplomats to leave, so they're kind of striking back in the same way, I guess. The EU's position follows uh, May sharing with group leaders information about why Britain is convinced Moscow was behind the attack, including the type of poison used, a Soviet-developed nerve agent. (laughs) I mean... Russia says, "Well, we destroyed everything. We didn't have anything to do with it." And then you look at the nerve agent and who made it? Well, Russia made it. They're just—I don't know. It's amazing. They just lie. They know. They know they're lying. They know you know they're lying, but they just lie anyway. And intelligence. Uh, they also had intelligence that Russia has produced it within the past decade. So they—they they said, "Well, we got rid of all of our chemical weapons. We don't have any more." And they say, Oh, well that's interesting because uh this is the one that you make and we can tell you made it in the last decade. So it but the thing is, I mean, even even after knowing that and, and having p- great proof, I think, that Russia did it, what is anybody gonna do about it? Eh, expel some, you know, diplomats. And uh i I don't know, it seems like a slap on the wrist. Nothing too serious is being done about it. And it's not the first time Russia's done it uh it seems like it won't be the last time that they'll do it um why would they if they feel the need to so uh it it's i don't know it seems like a pretty weak response and i remember too that last week i think the, or maybe it was last week or a couple weeks ago <clears throat> the eu came out with some joint <clears throat> statement but they it, it was it was pretty weakly worded and it was just a statement and they they didn't really want to do anything you know too specific about it other than have a few diplomats leave and i think have a strongly worded statement so uh that never works you know if you can think about uh even your own life if you got in trouble for something and the reprimand was a strongly worded you know uh reprimand yeah well it might have some effect but usually not that much so anyway that's what the u.s is trying to do about it there there's a lot about uh Russian collusion, and you know that's always in the news, but there's a lot about that at thetrumpet.com that you can read to get a really good insight into what Russia's up to, what they're doing, uh, what their plans are. We have a really good book, uh, The Prince of Russia, Prophesied Prince of Russia. That's at thetrumpet.com that you can get and really understand more about the thinking of of Vladimir Putin, some of his history, uh, what he's up to now, and what his goals are, and it's obviously nothing short of reviving the uh, old Soviet empire. That's what he wants to bring back on the world scene, and he wants it to be a great, great power once again. So uh, he's uh, involved in that. So make sure you get that big overview there at thetrumpet.com. Also, the, uh, trumpet, uh, com today has a top story. Europe promises military aid to Lebanon. This is by uh, trumpet writer Callum Wood. Why do the Europeans want to strengthen the Lebanese armed forces? It's a good question, and he has the answer there. Uh, And and in the article, there's a lot of information besides the write-up. There's also some infographics. There's a link to a video and then a Trumpet Daily radio show as well. So it's a whole multimedia package there, and you can get a lot of uh, great information about what's going on over there in Europe and uh, in terms of their impact in the Middle East and what they're trying to accomplish there. And if you know much about the uh, Bible prophecy and what the Trumpet's written about that, you know that Europe Europe's going to have a lot to do with what goes on in the Middle East and they're involved already to some extent. Uh make sure you listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio show today as well with your host Stephen Fleury. The top or the one of the stories was a uh, student's march against uh gun violence over the weekend. There was uh, that was quite the quite the ordeal. Uh, the uh, Gateway Pundit talked about it a little bit. It said uh, Democrat protest leader David Hog spoke at the massive rally in Washington, D.C. on Pennsylvania Avenue to tens of thousands of anti-gun protesters. I don't know how many were there. The the numbers kind of jump around a little bit. But anyway, there was there was a fair turnout, I guess. And they said that uh, this is a write up. David Hogg uh, rallied the young Democrat voters. He said the cold grasp of corruption shackles the District of Columbia, the winter is over. Change is here. The sun shines on a new day, and the day is ours. First-time voters show up 18% of the time in midterm elections. Not anymore. And then people applauded. Uh, now, who here is going to vote in the 2018 election? If you listen real close, you hear the people in power shaking. So that was his, uh, <laughs> one of his things. It's really interesting. And then he gave, apparently he ended his speech with some sort of a raised fist. So that that's not a great look. You know, it's funny, too. Politicians over the years have really been careful to not get caught with a fist in terms of, uh, uh, you know, whenever they'll take a picture of them. Uh, Bill Clinton, I think, famously always put his thumb up because they didn't want to come across like that raging, you know, dictator shaking his fist at everybody. But this guy hasn't gotten the the memo or maybe he doesn't care. <laughs> maybe it's very specific, but uh Anyway, it's kind of the, the, the images are a little bit chilling of this guy yelling and raising his fist. But you can see that all over the place on the Internet. Uh, ABC uh, had this write up said March for our lives will start a revolution. Parkland school shooting survivor says, you know, but it's, there's a lot of terms being thrown around. And um, you just have to say, well, what kind of a revolution, though? Like, What are you talking about? Uh they said. Uh, this is that hog guy again. He said, "We will change America with or without these politicians." What is he talking about? How can you How can you change America without the politicians? I guess he means he's going to get rid of them. They'll get new ones. But uh, those are some good questions. I think that hopefully people are asking, like, well, "What? What do you mean? You're going to change America to what? What are you hoping to change it to? And then, um, and why?" And then, uh, how are you going to go about doing that? Uh, it kind of it reminds me a lot of the the hope and change that uh, President Obama had run on, and you know, hope and what and what kind of change? Like very ambiguous terms, and and uh, but they have some specific ideas, and and uh, they're uh, putting them out there to some extent. Uh, it says organizers of March for Our Lives expect hundreds of thousands of people to converge. Of course, this is written, I think uh Um, a little before it actually happened uh, over the weekend Uh, but uh, Hogue was asked about Parkland survivors hopeful slogan of hashtag never again after the massacre at their uh, school considering there was another school shooting this week in Maryland high school and uh, the Florida teen suggested the problem of gun violence has an array of causes in addition to the need for more firearms restrictions he said it's due to a mental health care problem a gun control problem and an American problem. So, uh, you know, again, what, is, what does that mean, an American problem? What what are they getting at? Again, as, uh, as, as brought out on the Trump Daily Radio Show, you have to go and read America Under Attack, and you have to look also at the Great Again booklet, those two, to get uh, insight into what is going on here. There's celebrities that uh, jumped in, of course, and started... Throwing some money uh, behind uh, this movement, they, they they started a GoFundMe page for March for Our Lives, and they raised 3.3 million dollars. in celebrities, uh, they name a few, chipped in a fair bit of that money. But as um, trumpet uh, daily radio show host Stephen Fleury points out today, uh, celebrities just don't go throwing money behind uh, a bunch of kids, you know, with uh, you know just because. There's uh, there's a real a motivation behind that. So I wanted to finish today by looking at just a, a little bit of information from this recent uh, Time magazine. I think it's the most recent one. It's got these uh, five teens uh, on the front cover, and uh, the across the, the front it says, Enough, period. They've had enough of uh, gun violence, apparently. So quite the interesting uh, group there. And uh, here's some of what was said. The From the Editor section's got a little bit uh, here from this Time magazine. It said it's called Student Teachers. So the uh, students are become the teachers. He said, uh, and he writes this, this generation of students has an instinct for humanity. Have you ever known any, any human to have an instinct for humanity? It's just interesting when they say things like that. Like some people just kind of know how to be good people or do good things. Really? Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It talks about people having a deceptive heart, but, but they think uh, they just have an instinct for humanity. And of course, by implication, what does that mean? Others do not, right? So, but they think that the, the, these young people have an instinct for humanity, and uh, they are going to uh, work on fixing an imbalance in American life. So they they think there's an imbalance of some kind, and they hearken back to 1968, uh, which was the year of student power back then, I guess. Well, what what came out of the 60s? What what good came out of the 1960s? Uh, there, we had stories last week about some of the major problems in San Francisco, which was a hotbed of activity in the 1960s, the homeless problem, the, the filth, um, uh, lots of issues. Not just there, but, I mean, they spread around. The, 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 co- the collapse of uh, uh, really uh, societal norms as far as family is concerned. You know, what came out of the 60s? So if you're going to point back to 1968 as some sort of a great time, um, uh, be good to look at the history and say, well, what happened since 1968? I don't, I haven't seen anything good in that level. But, uh, so they think these young, these young people are going to do something similar to that. And, uh, the, this, uh, from the editor piece here in time, Edward, uh, Felenstall is the man's name. He said, uh, young people know this instinctively that, uh, in, in action is inexcusable. They just they just know they just instinctively know that we've got to do something and we've got to do it now, Uh, which is really interesting. Because if you you understand the difference between humans and animals, animals have instinct. Humans don't have instinct. We don't have an instinct. We don't just know things. You ever see a baby just know something, just know how to do it? They don't. (laughs) You have to teach them. But if he says these young people, they just instinctively know that inaction is inexcusable. So they're going to uh, go on and uh, make some change. But again, it's its uh, who's behind these kids and what's going on with this. Uh, so the main write-up in, in this uh, Time magazine is about these uh, young people. And it says, It's lunchtime on a Tuesday, and the kids are pulling into a pizzeria booth in Coral Springs, Florida, to plot a revolution. They're plotting a revolution as if, and this is pointed out in the Trumpet Daily today, as if the it's just spontaneous. You know, the kids went to the pizza booth. They, you know, sent out a couple of tweets, and all of a sudden you got Oprah Winfrey giving you all kinds of money. Uh, it doesn't work that way. They're very much being um, used for an agenda. But if you were to believe this write-up, you know, they just went to a pizza booth and they plotted a revolution. uh, Does that mean it's a good revolution anyway? Uh, I would say no, it's not, of course. Uh, They say the adults know. This is what the kids said. (laughs) The adults know that we're cleaning up their mess. Well, good. The kids are finally here to clean up the mess. That's according to an 11th grader at uh, the Stoneman Douglas High School. And she's the one that started uh, the Never Again movement, or I guess it's a fella, uh, to curb gun gun violence, three weeks after uh, three weeks earlier in his living room, he came up with this uh, "never again" hashtag. Never again. It's like they're saying, he says, "I'm sorry, I made this mess," while continuing to spill soda on the floor. So that's it's the adults' fault. So that the young people are going to get in there at the pizzeria and plan a revolution. They say, and then the conversation that they're having turns from their fellow organizer David Hogg. And and they say uh, one of his uh, peers in this this uh, revolution group says he's so laser focused he could make his body get pregnant if he wanted to. So not really relevant in any way. I just thought just it just shows some of the thinking that they have. I mean that that that's just a foolish statement to make and uh, t- just just ridiculous. But these are the people that are going to change America apparently in some way. But they write here in Time that most of these kids cannot vote, order a beer, make a hotel reservation, or afford a pizza without pooling some of their allowance. They'll have plenty of money now, apparently. Uh, On the surface, it says they're not so different from previous generations of idealistic teenagers who set out to change the world only to find it is not so easy. Yet over the past month, these students have become the central organizers of what may turn out to be the most powerful grassroots gun reform movement in nearly two decades. For much of the rest of the country, numbed and depressed by repeated mass shootings, the question has become, can these kids actually do it? But again, it's not these kids sitting around in a pizzeria pooling their money together. That's a very romantic idea, I guess, if people like the idea of some sort of a revolution. But that's not what's happening. If you want to know what's happening, you have to go back to that top story today, you know, where politicians are saying, I want to make a million, million me's. I want the old men are the problem. We need more people like me. So we need more kids that are going to go along with what I think. They say in this time piece, perhaps most important, the Parkland kids painted the NRA and their allies as the uh, mortal enemies of the roughly 50 million school kids growing up in what Caskey calls the mass shooting generation. And so they're attacking. They're having personal attacks against the NRA, against politicians. I mean, it doesn't matter, really, if uh, what they're saying is true or if they know what they're talking about. They're just going to be very snarky, and they're just going to make enemies out of people. The, people should be somewhat concerned that, that these kids are talking this way. And, uh, and get this. Uh, The Parkland kids plan to make gun reform the central issue for young voters in the midterms. Uh, One of them says, we're going to show these politicians that we're coming for them. And then another one of the kids says, the world failed us. And we're here to make a new one that's going to be easier on the next generation. Now get this, if you're against that, then get out. What are they talking about? So if somebody doesn't agree with them, they have to get out? Get out? get out of where and how where are you going to go i mean that's a, that's a threat and so they're so up in arms and they're so emotional and they're being led by by uh, celebrities and politicians and so forth and they're saying look you're either going to you're going to get on board with what we're saying or you get out does any does anybody think that's going in a good direction we I mean we can't have a there there couldn't be another side to the argument there couldn't be another perspective you have to agree exactly with what they say or you can get out. That's pretty uncomfortable. I mean this this is these are the young people and that's what they're saying. This is Time magazine. And it says uh how a movement catches fire is always a mystery. Oh, it's a mystery. No it's not. <laughs> it's, it's in Time magazine. It's a front it's the front uh, cover issue or a story in Time magazine. That's how it catches fire because they put it in in magazines like this and they put it all over the place. But they say it's a mystery. They don't know how it catches fire. Uh, But they say they're they're young enough, these kids, to be victimized by a school shooting, but old enough to shape the aftermath. Like many teenagers, they're at a peculiar stage in their lives where they feel at once vulnerable and invincible. Highly social yet impervious to the etiquette expected from adults. Yes, they are impervious to the etiquette expected from adults. And they say uh, they call their enemies names and hurl sick burns. (laughs) <laughs> at politicians so that's the young vernacular there uh they hurl sick burns at politicians and lobbyists as if they're shouting across the locker room there's no mention of truth here or getting to the facts or what the second amendment really is about they're just going to hurl quote unquote sick burns across the locker room well that's the political uh that's the political movement <laughs> that's what they're doing and uh, so they're going after, uh, they're going after people's uh, guns. They're going after the NRA. And uh, they, <laughs> this, their, their leader, I guess, their, the mouthpiece anyway, this uh, young fellow, Hogg, he says, the bottom line for politicians who side with the NRA is you're going to be smeared in the textbooks. Your legacy is gone. If you don't stand up with us now, you'll be standing against us. So he's threatening everyone. He's going to tell you how it's going to be. And you're either going to do what uh, he says and what his group says and, of course, what he's being told to say, or you better get out, as another uh, young student said. So uh, that is, uh, to me, extremely frightening. and I think people should be concerned about that line of thinking and the direction it's going. It's talked about more on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today, and you must get uh, America under attack and great again uh, because you see these stories popping up in the headlines and you have to know what the the big uh, overview is and the takeaway is. So make sure you get those books at thetrumpet.com. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live, Kia David program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Just the Best Literature, and uh, Music for Life, along with Watch Jerusalem. Lots of stuff coming up today. Have a great rest of your Monday. For myself, Dwight Falk, I'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG.